0: Hello and welcome to Country Roads Confidential. This is episode six and I am your host Chris Anderson. I am here as always with Mr. Mike Casazza. Mike how are you doing today? Chilly. Chilly. Yes. I I, I hope you have a couple ACs in your in your house that you're sitting in front of right now.
1: I've actually been in my basement for most of the day because it's subterranean so I was looking for a reason to start cleaning out down here and organizing um People may be aware I had a lengthy bathroom renovation, and a lot of that entailed working to like 11 o'clock at night and then just throwing crap at the workbench and in the crawl spaces downstairs, and I'll just get to that later. Uh, today's later. I'm probably three feet below, or six feet below ground, right, basement, and there's no sunshine. It's uh, It's kind of cool. It's still probably conservatively, I don't know. 75 degrees down here in my basement the ac's been running for a long time uh, and i'm sure that a lot of people are having the exact same struggle right now yeah
0: well every the rest of the world is in uh, the middle of a code red temperatures and heat index above 100 and for that uh you know a lot of people have been hanging out on the message board and a lot of people while there have found our mailbag thread for the podcast we got a lot of good questions we picked out a handful of them, uh, and do not worry if your question was not picked. That does not mean it was horrible. It means Mike or I will address it in written form rather than podcast form. Um, but let's get started with the first one. Uh, this question is from eighty-three eighty-nine grad on the on the message board. He says, "In today's post FBI post Rice environment in college basketball." Is cheating, a.k.a. paying players, more or less risky, likely to be severely penalized? Is the risk more or less worth the potential rewards? And if you were going to cheat, how would you go about doing it?
1: Mike, I'll let you start. This is a juicy question. I like this one. Uh, Cheating is always risky. It just is, right? Because they have rules and they have punishments in there. Um, I do think that it's less likely to be severely penalized now because just look at the judicial process we have in the ncaa it takes forever to come around on stuff um i think the fbi is, has vetted pretty strongly whatever has happened with the sneaker case in college basketball does anybody really think that the ncaa is going to clamp down with the type of teeth this evidence we've seen in the fbi suggests i don't think so right Um, I think it's going to be hard to do that. And not only that, it's going to get litigious. Um, Schools are going to fight and players or schools are going to sue to get eligibility, to get the right to transfer, um, to reverse the ruling. And then it's not necessarily the matter of, is the act of cheating um, worth it. it? Is is the act of punishing it or penalizing it worth it? Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, I think so, because I think anytime we discuss this, there is always going to be a large contingent of people and including some people in the NCAA that say these kids should be getting paid. Why are we doing this? So I think at some point it's going to flip and you know, maybe these kids are going to get compensated in some form or another. And, and then this is going to be a moot point. There's not going to be anything worth being penalized for.
1: One point that people have made to me and just, and these are conversations across a long period of time, not just in the past few days as I prepped this, but, about the penalties that may or may not be coming, and, you know, why has it been so slow to come around on other events, not, not just the sneaker thing in college basketball. Um, and it's, you know, kind of the, the answer to the question is actually another question, and it's that don't you think that the, you know, NIL model, name, image, and likeness model, the, uh, you know, paying student athletes, don't you think that'll change? And I think it will. And if that's going to change, then you kind of have to go retroactive with some of these punishments. And then again, is it really worth it? So to answer that part of it, I, I do think that it is worth it because you might get away with it. And even if you don't get away with it, um, it might not be that big of a deal. Um, I One thing I'm concerned about, it just in our position in the media, um, you know, full-time people who are embedded with teams and really devoted to day-by-day coverage and, and have a chance to immerse themselves in a the story and investigate, those positions are numbered now. There's not nearly as many of them. Never mind devoted to a school or a conference, but just around the country. And, you know, if there's fewer of them, then the scope of chasing down rumors and things like that and exposing things is going to um, obviously affect the number of discoveries. And I think anybody in college athletics will tell you that the NCAA really gets involved um, more often than not when something is exposed that is really their great policing device they can do some investigation on their own and coaches are are pretty good policemen um, they kind of turn each other in a lot on stuff um, which kind of makes some um, you know some of the names you see now involved kind of funny because you know maybe they were involved in turning people in before and wow the shoe's on the other foot now but if for example the media isn't as powerful or isn't as in-depth as they were before uh, that kind of pushes fewer allegations to the surface that the NCAA can notice, which means fewer subsequent uh, investigations in there too. So um, that is kind of concerning and, again, probably makes it more uh, worth it, I would think.
0: It's it's interesting, very interesting that, that you mentioned that angle because I have uh, honestly had someone mention that to me before, somebody who has an interest at West Virginia and is saying, who told me before that with no more true rival of course I think a lot of fans think that there is true rivals Pitt Virginia Tech and and, but you're not playing them you're not playing them as often there's not as much interest Uh, and his argument was West Virginia needs to start cheating I mean I, I think he obviously was not serious about it but he suggested it for the exact reason that you're saying he said it's very difficult for schools like Ohio State or Michigan to do it because the opposing media the rival media will be all over rumors and trying to expose things but with west virginia there's no true rival and his argument was they should go for it um yeah obviously i think he was he was joking but he was he was he had a good point and it kind of lines up with exactly what you're saying right there
1: kind of leads me to the last part of this question which is the one i really like if you're going to cheat how would you go about it well one and you can jump in here too but one if i'm if i'm west virginia and i'm going to cheat i'm encouraging pitt and Marshall and Ohio State and Penn State to cheat because I'm not going to turn them in and they're not going to turn me in if we're all doing bad stuff. So everybody cheats. So how would I cheat? I would do it, for one, and I would tell other people, hey, why don't we all get in the pool here? Uh, The lifeguard's off-duty.
0: I I agree wholeheartedly. Yes. Um, (laughs) I absolutely agree. I I have always been – said even before all this that i would that the at least the secondary violations especially with recruiting are have much bigger benefits than there are as far as penalties go uh, you know you get a little slap on the wrist you get a a letter telling you not to do that again blah blah blah, blah. but most of the time these recruits don't even know the rules and, and then they see one school say Calling them more often than others texting them more often than others visiting them when other schools aren't not knowing that that school is actually not even supposed to be talking to them at that point in time, but they don't know that they just know that hey this school is showing me a lot of love right now, and these other schools aren't and I've seen schools take advantage of that, but just because the kids don't know the rules and the penalties for those secondary violations are so minimal,
1: I would set not a bar. Or I would, I would set not a ceiling. I would set a, a ground level four for the number of secondary violations that my staff must commit <laughs> because they're so needless. They're so dumb. Like for example, Jeremy Pruitt's gotten more attention for recruiting in the past week or so because of his nine level three violations for social media and stuff like that. And it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a thing, but like if you're one of the players or schools, for example, um, that's kind of cool if you're on the other end of that, and coaches can be really strategic in how they do these things. And uh, I've there, I won't get too much into the weeds in this one here, but there was a coach not long ago who accidentally, and again I'm evoking the air quotes here in my office, but accidentally typed a player's name. Uh, into a tweet and put it out there and the claim was actually it was supposed to be a search and i didn't know what i was doing and wow well gee what do you think happened with that school and that player right so i think there's there's some obvious deceit there and, and you know there's ways around that but um i would i would again i would commit myself to really kind of pressing the the boundaries and bending things as much as i could to see what you can because what rules education or stuff like that they're not taking scholarships away they're making you sit through classes or making you you know you know write letters about how you're policing things or whatever. And that's not going to rise to the attention of the coach. I get that. So I would implement cheating. That would be one thing. And I would tell my rivals that to cheat as well, we'll just look the other way on this stuff too. But again, you can organize these things, too. Um, you know, I think, again, if you're going to try to massage the boundaries, have somebody in your office who knows the rule book, who worked in the NCAA, and maybe who has a legal background on these things. And, and for the unfamiliar, West Virginia's director of operations the past few years is Alex Hammond, and he had all that. He was an investigator for the NCAA, and he had a law degree, and he worked in the White House, so he knew diplomacy jurisprudence, NCAA, all that stuff. He was about ideal for that situation. I'm not saying that he went around breaking the rules, but he was certainly familiar with what he could and couldn't do. Everybody needs an asset like that. Maybe not your director of operations, but certainly somebody who could spend hours a day in the rule book trying to figure out what happens. Uh, and then you can do it institutionally because every school has these fan clubs And in West Virginia. They're the Mountaineer Maniacs, right? And there's this kind of weird rule, and there's a bunch of them for how schools can and can't publicize and promote. When players visit, and you know these, Chris, and you can explain some of them, but basically you can't, a school can't acknowledge when a kid is visiting, and it's really dumb. I mean, it's really, really dumb, because by and large, it could be out of the school's control, and a a really good example is many, many years ago, basketball had a Midnight Madness, and Adrian Payne visited, and it was basically between West Virginia, Kentucky, and Michigan State, where he actually ended up, and West Virginia committed many secondary violations that night. (laughs) Because fans had, you know, bring the pain, and here comes the pain, and house of pain, and all these signs, and that's really cool and really effective. Is that West Virginia's job to make sure that the Mountaineer Maniacs don't do that? Should Bob Huggins and his staff stop that? Uh, I'm more concerned about winning records and postseason tournaments and, and Final Fours, but sure, maybe, but they got away with, they had some secondary violations, and I had some let's say, one-sided conversations with the basketball staff are reporting that because it's a pain in the neck for them. But if you get Adrian Payne, it's kind of worth it, right? So Absolutely. Like, you can you can kind of plausible deniability, these things, where you make sure your fans know who's coming and you make sure your maniacs know who's coming and they can do what they want. And when the time comes and the NCAA says, hey, you're not allowed to do that, you just go, well, what am I supposed to do? Why don't you go solve this FBI scandal instead of bothering me?
0: No. That is one question in, and, and obviously we enjoy the cheating conversation because mm-hmm. that, that we have we're we're getting nowhere. We still got five more to go, so let's jump into the next one.
1: Ask me about uh, my in, in the future. Ask me about my Olympic model and how I could I could <laughs> tilt the balance of power in recruiting. Uh,
0: this is another good one. I really like this one because I, I, I got lots of ideas. I'm sure you do too. But do you? This is from Main Ear One Hundred Five. Do you think Fan Day or the Spring Game will ever grow into a bigger event? I see this year's fans can watch practice after the autograph session and my family would like to start attending, but living up here in Northern new England, it's hard to justify making the trip, uh, presumably for, for just that. Hey. Mike, you take the lead on this one.
1: Well, I think if it's going to happen, they probably have the people in position to make it happen. Remember two years ago, we were talking about how the spring game was done because that staff was not interested in doing it. And we're, I, mean, I was writing, with legitimacy and some help from people at the university about how this is going to turn into like a carnival or like a a food festival or something like that, where the players may, I don't know, maybe they play some seven on seven or something like that. um, And they do their 15th practice in some other atmosphere. Um, But it was going to turn into some fan thing where it's a celebration of football, but it's also kind of a, a treat for the fans to come in and I don't know funnel cakes and football or something like that, where you kind of come out and you listen to some music and you see some players do some stuff, but mostly it's just a festival atmosphere and it makes some money for the hospital. And it kind of gives you some goodwill to send off in the off season. And now they actually have a game. And I do think that Brown wants to promote it and to make it into something boy. I, I just don't know how it's such a stale thing. And you remember West Virginia only had 14 practices this spring. They did a 15th, like, as a weightlifting seminar and how to get ready for the off season uh, after the spring game. So I think that you can probably wash away that ever being a really competitive atmosphere, but how they do it, boy, I'd be up in a suggestions, but I'm sure they have. And the fan day thing, I think, yeah, they're going to try to make that a thing because you're looking at it now. They're trying to get people to come out for it. And then by the way, stay for the practice, which is kind of interesting too. So um, that's a good, a good way to get people going. I think the, the bummer for people who have to travel from New England, for example, is that it's so far from the regular season. If you could maybe make it the Friday or Thursday night before the first game, Friday wouldn't work, but Thursday night before the first game, you might have some people who come in for a three day weekend.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of of what you were mentioning about the spring game, turning it in you know, as of right now, it is basically what, two hours of kind of half-assed scrimmage in the on a Saturday afternoon. I'd love to see them turn into something bigger, to do, to build around it, to have uh, a place for the fans to meet the players, to have a carnival type atmosphere, as you mentioned, with maybe something set up in the indoor facility, um, access to uh, into the building maybe at different times, maybe not when the coaches and the players are there, but uh, to, to see the facility some, um, maybe even something set up for the kids out in the parking lot over there next to the indoor facility. Um, But right now, as as main ear 105 mentioned, anybody outside of a couple hours, you're asking them to essentially take the whole weekend to just come and watch two hours of, say, 70 percent of the team going at half speed and and then being done. And that's it. And it's over. And it's like, thanks for coming. Go home. Um, That's a lot. I, I would like to see them try to do more about that.
1: Yeah. The one reason the media doesn't really complain about not having access to watch in full practice is because practice is boring. And are you really (laughs) going to get are you going to get 20,000 people in the stadium to watch a practice in probably cold weather in April? Unlikely. So how do you do it? I don't know. Do you do it at night? Maybe. Um, But like those Pro Bowl skill competitions, those are kind of fun. And again, that wouldn't necessarily be like a practice. But again, if you're giving away a practice anyway to teach kids how to lift weights, obviously this can go in a whole bunch of different directions.
0: All right. We're going to take just a second to pay some bills and then we'll get back with some more questions from the fans. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track, all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Mike, we're back. Next question comes from Man 17 who asks, who could be a dark horse for team MVP for the football team? Um, I kind of gave a hint as to mine on the board, so uh, pardon me for jumping in here, because um, I think it is uh, certainly a dark horse. I don't think anybody would think of this. And obviously Vandarius Cowan or somebody like that, or Austin Kendall is somebody who could happen because they'll be taking the lead on each of their respective sides of the ball. But what about cornerback Keith Washington? Um, It is a position that needs to step up this year. He was honorable mention all big 12 last year, and that was while splitting splitting time for two positions with three guys. That won't happen as much this year with Josh Norwood being moved to safety. So say he gets a few more snaps, improves slightly. And and remember, last year was his first year really playing college football. I mean, he was at Michigan before, but his first time being on the field. And he already had an honorable mention all-conference type season. Uh, A a slight improvement, a a few more snaps, and all of a sudden he's a guy that can get, say, 50 to 60 tackles four or five interceptions and over a dozen pass deflections. And that's that's all conference-type stuff. That's defensive MVP for the team-type stats right there.
1: Yeah, and I think if you're going to look for like an impact position on defense, it's probably going to be somebody who intercepts passes or knocks them down or even through inactivity because if he's quiet, that means the receiver he's covering is probably quiet, and then by and large he's going to draw good receivers. Also, he's going to return kicks this year too. Um, And that's a way to make an impact. I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, I would have maybe thought he was more obvious because, you know, he's a starter. So is that a dark horse? I guess maybe. But if you're a cornerback in the Big 12 in West Virginia, that probably is a bit of a dark horse thing because that is not a position that you ordinarily succeed in. I um I did a little different. Um, Surprise, surprise. Right. But I thought about a couple of people and these aren't walk ons from my my affinity for walk-ons kind of goes away, but I'm thinking of how they're going to move the ball and how they're going to do stuff this year. And I know we don't know his his status and how healthy he will be, but I really do think Giovanni Haskins is going to play. Um, and probably be important too in, in a bunch of positions. So if he's healthy and he's good to go and we'll see, I've heard that they're pretty happy with the way he's coming along with his shoulder, but it could be a while. Um, and again, he'd be ready at some point in the preseason. So perhaps he's slower to come around. Um, that would be my one on offense. Um, that's kind of fun to think about, I think, but um, then again, maybe obvious. I don't know because of who, where he is and all that stuff, but uh, my pick, and I'm going to stick on offense because I think it's a dark horse, what about Jack Allison?
0: Oh, boy. I Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you there, Mike. But wow, that you, was a you, no. <laughs> you, you, you did say Jack Allison, right? Explain yourself. Go for it.
1: Well, are we sure? That Austin Kendall is
0: the guy. No, I don't think we're sure. Okay,
1: so we're on that position. Now, if you are, if you think he's the person and that West Virginia went to the lengths that it went to to sway public opinion to get him and install him and have him be the guy, not only so he be the guy, but probably as some sort of a show of confidence or lack thereof in Jack Allison, listen, I get that. Um, but I can only go on what I see and what I hear. And I know that he was new in the system, and compared to how long Allison has been on campus— Maybe he had a better spring. I get that, and obviously his spot in the spring, and, and the spring game, uh, being the first guy in and the first guy out of the game, that's important. Um, that suggests that they think he's probably ahead. But all the stuff I've heard from teammates about Allison, and from you know his past about it, it seems like he's a fighter and he's not going to go away. So what if this doesn't work, and you're looking at not only this year but next year with Allison, or excuse me, with Kendall, um, and you make a switch, and let's say that. You know, he's a good soldier for a couple of games and does some good stuff and practices, and then he gets the ball, and I don't know, maybe he goes four and two. Um, maybe he goes three and one. I don't know, but all of a sudden, he's in a bowl game, and this goes from being uh, a five and seven season to a seven and five season. And again, I'm doing a lot of what-ifs, and I suppose, but we're talking dark horses here. Um, and I think that this quarterback thing, again, it may be closer to the finish line than it isn't, but what if it isn't close to the finish line? Again, we don't know. Um, And we're probably going to press save on this episode and open our email and see that we have a new starting quarterback at West Virginia. (laughs) But until that time, that's my dark horse. because I think it's interesting to think about. um, It's not a win this year thing for Neil Brown, but year two could be really good when you look at the skill positions and the way the defense is lined up and that they'll be familiar and they'll have had a whole season. And if your quarterback has continuity from one year to the next, that's pretty good.
0: Mike, I must say your loss of Barry Moreland has really sent you off the tracks. Just, uh, it's obviously stinging deep for you right now.
1: I'm okay with Grayson Malashevich.
0: <laughs> All right, moving on to the next question. What's this is from Blue and Gold 81. What's your gut feeling on the safety position this year? Have Sean Mahone and Jake Long developed into legitimate contributors or are they simply placeholders on the first step chart? Your go, Mike.
1: Well, again, I wouldn't pay a whole lot of attention to the first step chart. Sorry, but um, that's certainly the starting point right now, and we don't know who else is going to be back there. So that's where we're at right now, and they're, they're going to have an edge just because um, they've been around a little bit, and they're older than freshmen. So that's good. Um, I don't know if people know this or want to believe it or not, but for, for years, people have insisted that Jake Long is one of the best pure athletes on the team. Um, and that's one reason he was at corner, because you could play sooner at that position if you're just a really good athlete. But if he's back there now at free or cat safety, then that's a little bit more of a, a – an, not an instinctual position like where you can get by with your gifts purely. Like cornerback, you really got to know the game a little bit. Is he at that point where he can do that now? He hasn't played a ton, but he's been back there. He's at free, which um, it's. I think that's, that would have been interesting to see Kenny Robinson playing that because I think that that is a spot where you want to have somebody who's long and can run around, and obviously Long fits that bill. I don't believe for a second he's behind Dante Bonamico, but I just don't think that they know where they're going to put Long right now. I think they like him enough that he's going to go there or Cat, because he is or with Bonamico at free safety, and he's or with Josh Norwood and Sean Malone at cat. So Long is going to play somewhere, I think. Mahone has been the guy who they think is one of their best tacklers and one of their headiest players for a couple of years, too. So, uh, again, that cat spot's a little bit more active. Um, so maybe you would think for a tackler and someone who has to read and react, that'd be good for him. I do think that moving Norwood insists that he's going to play somewhere um, in that defensive backfield and not a corner, obviously. So he's going to be a cat. I would say that he's probably your candidate to be the starter there. And then backing up is going to be Mahone Mahon or Long. Um, just because Long is at both, I think he's probably going to end up at free because I think Norwood has a home Cat. And then freshman, you know, we'll see right now. Uh, Tyke Smith is actually a spear. Oceta Smith is not here. Rayshon Lynn is not here. So it's pretty slim right there. Can Kerry Martin get in? That's the question. He apparently has had a nice summer. Guys like him, but he's still young. How much will he play? How many snaps will he get? Who knows? But I don't think they intend to redshirt him.
0: I can't say I have much to add here because I, I agree with basically everything you said. Uh, Jake Long, always been hearing good things about him. Haven't seen it on the field yet. Maybe this is the year. Uh, Josh Norwood uh, was the first name this, that sprung to my mind. And and you already answered the question I was going to ask you. Josh Norwood, which safety does he fit best at? Because he was he was pretty good last year. So moving him to safety obviously means they feel, one, they feel good about uh, Hakeem Bailey and Keith Washington at corner. And two, they feel that he can fit one of those roles pretty easily. He can transition fairly easily uh, for this fall. So I think I, I'm with you. I think he fills one of those two spots and Jake Long fills the other ones, at least to start the season.
1: I don't know what type of canisters we're going to have as far as positions because Norway, I'm not sure he's big enough for what they want to do at corner because all those guys, um, Washington, Bailey, Miller, And I want to say Fortune. I'm not sure about Mayo. I don't have the roster in front of me. One of the freshmen is kind of smaller than the other. But they're kind of big guys. Yeah, Mayo's 5'10", 160, by the way. That's not great. Um, And Fortune's 6'185". And I believe to Turner's 6'2", 190. So you can kind of tell. Six foot and above, those are guys that they like at those positions. Um, Kind of concerned about 160 pounds for Mayo. But maybe he sits for a year. But um, Norwood's not that big. um, But he's tough. And I think he could probably play nickel. And survive and be fine. And he could play the run, and he could blitz and do some things like that. But he also fits that cap position, which can, can play closer to the line of scrimmage. It's basically strong safety, um, so it's free and strong. They're into a lot of like cover two and corners quarters coverage, so he can be able to swing it there as a, you know, a, as a deep defensive back. But I, I do wonder how much guys will move around from position or from play to play to disguise things. And he's a candidate to do that certainly. <laughs>
0: And, and this next question may tie into this one we just answered or the one before it, uh, and it is from G.D. Full. Outside of QB, what player position or position must excel for football to make or exceed six wins in 2019?
1: You go ahead. I took the last one, and you had nothing to say. I want to disagree
0: with you. Uh, I'm going to go cornerback again. Uh, I've mentioned Keith Washington is my dark horse candidate for MVP. The position is it, it's always a spot that needs to be – Good in the Big 12. Uh secondary as a whole, actually. Um, and but the thing is at, at cornerback, you have Bailey and Washington both in another year as starters. They're going to be leaned upon with, with so much turmoil at safety this offseason, so many new guys stepping in, so many inexperienced guys there. Cornerback is one that I think the defense is going to lean on. It, it may not be a strong suit in years past for West Virginia, but those guys are the, the veterans. Those guys are have experience battling in the Big 12, going up against the best passing offenses in the league and kind of holding their own. I I didn't think uh, you know Washington or Bailey were great last year. They were serviceable, certainly. And I think the rest of the defense is going to try to turn to them and, and ask them to step up, and they need to step up if West Virginia wants to kind of root re- as the six wins being the one greater than the line that Vegas set for West Virginia.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good pick there. I'm going to stick with defense, and this was difficult because I could have gone offensive line or even quarterback. I think those are probably pretty obvious, and you can probably get by with okay offensive line play and not maybe greater than what's expected. Quarterback is an animal unto itself, but I'm going to go with linebackers because I think I could answer this question with either Cowan, Tonkery, or I guess Giovanni Stewart. It would be a linebacker technically, and Josh Chandler. I mean, every one of those guys has to be good, um, especially behind a defensive line that is supposed to be good. But we'll see. Um, It's going to have to help. But if Cowan can, you know, cause some trouble from the edge, if Concrete can hold up in the middle, if Chandler can make you forget about David Long, and if Giovanni Stewart can, I think. Follow through on what seems like a position that is perfectly suited to his ability. Now you got something there. You got a really good core to the apple, and this thing is going to spin around and look really good from one week to the next. And that can take you deeper into the season. And if you can do that, especially early, you know you find out what you got on offense, and you narrow it down to what they do best, and you can go someplace. So if those linebackers can can really make that defensive front stand up, stand tall, and maybe help out the back end in situations, I think that's a good recipe.
0: All right, we got one last question. We're already well over time, but. Mm-hmm. One thing that message board members, especially West Virginia message board members, love more than anything is conference realignment. So we'll end on this. From unreasonable doubt, will WVU be in the Big 12 conference in
1: 2025? Yep. Mike? Yep. I, don't, I didn't talk to anybody in doubt. Big 12 now is a pretty good precursor that they're going to have a TV deal in place without much trouble. Um, and nobody seems to really think that they're going to expand the conference. I read about this in my Three Things piece this week. It seems far more likely that the college football playoff will expand to from four to uh, maybe six, but probably eight, and eight is a way to involve the group of five and to keep some of those schools quiet and not knocking on the door of the Power Five conferences. And if you're, if you're the Big 12, things are okay right now. Maybe they'll get better in the next couple of four years if you get some momentum, you keep your coaches in place, you know, and good coaches get better and young coaches become good. Why would you renegotiate with other TV partners now, when you have a schedule you can't predict? When you don't have a balanced uh, schedule every year? When you don't have two or more schools in the conference? You know that's strange to me. And I think the big probably the big factor here is that Oklahoma and Texas seem happy. I don't think they're going anywhere.
0: I'm with you. If you would have asked me, say a few months or even a year ago, I would have said no. Mostly because I thought Texas or and or Oklahoma would have tried to find their way out of the league, and then the league cannot exist without those two, at least uh, as far as the finances go for the teams. And West Virginia would have tried to have find a, found a new home. But I think, uh, you know, when it comes time to renegotiate that the next deal or negotiate the next deal, uh, the Big 12 will get paid big bucks. They will be happy, and they will try to stick it out again. So I think West Virginia will stay in the Big 12 in, in 2025.
1: Everybody who's asked, wait a second, why does Texas and why does Oklahoma get to keep their Tier 3 properties? And why don't they have to give it to the Big 12 and ESPN Plus, like West Virginia, Iowa State, Baylor, so on and so forth? That's how you keep them happy. That's how you keep them in the Big 12, and that's how you keep the Big 12 together. So would those other eight schools be okay with really putting the thumb on Texas and Oklahoma, making them forfeit their third-tier rights, and frankly, ticking them off and – encouraging them to wander a little bit with their gaze in the future, well, then that's great. You show them, and then they're out, and they're in the Pac-12, or they're in the SEC, or they're in the Big Ten. And what are you left with? Eight schools who probably regret what they did a couple years earlier.
0: Exactly. All right, well, that will uh, take up our time for today. Folks, thanks for listening uh, to Country Roads Confidential. We'll be back again later this week. I am Chris Anderson.
1: Mike Casaza.
0: Thank you for listening.